We'll be continuing our series on half-truths, popular Christian phrases that aren't in the Bible. And I'm wondering, as we're partway through this series, if it might be worth pausing to note the different ways that we show up to this material. We might need an invitation to have some grace with ourselves if we have used these phrases. Or we might need to acknowledge that even if we don't use them in conversation, these phrases get at some of our underlying assumptions. And maybe we just need to remember that there's value in exploring what we say and being hospitably curious about what we mean. And so today, as we think about the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, we're reading from 2 Corinthians, which is a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in the city of Corinth. Paul is writing this letter together with Timothy to the same church that received 1 Corinthians. And so we'll also read a verse from the 1 Corinthians passage that we focused on last week as we hold these two texts together with the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. And if you normally like to follow along in a Bible as we read, I just want you to be aware that the translation I will be reading from is slightly different from the one that's in the Pew Bibles. Um, the Pew Bibles are the New International Version, the NIV, and the version that you will hear is the New Revised Standard Version, the NRSV. Um, different Bible translations have different strengths. And so we're using the NRSV today because it gets across the emotion of this passage very well. And this is a passage with a lot of emotion in it. So if you'd like to follow along, just know that what you see will be somewhat different from what you hear. And if you usually read along, consider whether this might be an opportunity to try a different way of experiencing scripture by simply listening to it. So as we go to God's word, let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are already nearer to us than we are to ourselves. As we hear your word, turn us toward you and guide us so that in your light we may see light, in your truth we may find freedom, and in your will we may discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. From 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Listen for the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation is abundant through Christ. If we are being afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. If we are being consoled, it is for your consolation, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we also are suffering. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our consolation. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. 
For we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, so that we would rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He who rescued us from so deadly a peril will continue to rescue us. On him we have set our hope that he will rescue us again. As you also join in helping us by your prayers, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And now from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This verse from 1 Corinthians is sort of the origin story for the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. Our friend, Pastor Adam Hamilton, in the book Half Truths, calls it a misquote of this verse. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But more often, when we use the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, it's taken out of the context of temptation. We use it to address the hard things that happen in our lives, which is where this passage from 2 Corinthians comes in. As Pastor Stephen pointed out last week, this 2 Corinthians passage is a direct counterexample to the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. In verse 8, Paul writes, We were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. And you'd almost think that if anyone could handle suffering or affliction, it would be Paul. This is the guy who gets arrested, thrown in jail, released, arrested again, thrown in jail again, beaten, and left for dead. He survives assassination attempts, facing down an angry mob, a shipwreck, being bitten by a venomous snake. He's been through just about everything there is to go through. And you'd think at this point he'd see yet another trial coming his way and say, well, I've made it this far. I can get through this too. There's nothing that I can't handle. But he doesn't. Paul, famous missionary, superstar apostle, says, we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In short, Paul says, this is way more than I can handle. And scripture is full of people who are given more than they can handle. There's Abraham and Sarah, told to leave everything they know and move to an unknown land on the promise of a baby they're too old to have. There's Joseph sold into slavery and then dumped into prison in a foreign land for a crime he didn't commit. There's Miriam, who watches her mother put her three-month-old brother in a basket and send it down the Nile River, hoping he survives. There's Naomi and David and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Ezra and Mary and Peter, and the list goes on and on. Scripture is full of people who are given more than they can handle. 
And I don't think I need to convince you that hard things happen to us, too. We don't have to look far or even think far to come up with something that isn't the way things should be. Whether it's homelessness in Holland or wildfires in California or our own daily struggle to get through work each day or the names that appear in the bulletin for prayer week after week after week, we know what it feels like to have the weight of the world pressing down on us which is how Paul talks about this affliction that has set upon himself and Timothy. The Greek word used here for affliction literally means pressure. They are pressed down, utterly and unbearably crushed. They cannot rely on themselves because this is more than they can bear. And it's interesting to notice that Paul doesn't bother with the question of where this affliction is coming from or why it's happening. He doesn't even say specifically what the deadly peril he faced in Asia was. Maybe the Corinthians had heard about it from whoever brought the letter to them, but we don't know. What Paul does include is what's important to him. Regardless of what the affliction was, what matters enough for Paul to write it down is that God has consoled them. And he writes it over and over again. The God of all consolation, who consoles us in all our affliction. We ourselves are consoled by God. Our consolation is abundant through Christ. Paul makes it incredibly clear that whatever the affliction is, consolation is what comes from God. Affliction does not. One of the things that's easy to miss about the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, is that it implies that whatever hard thing has happened, it came from God. And that is not what scripture tells us. Remember when we thought about the phrase, everything happens for a reason. We have a natural urge to look for meaning in suffering. But we can't always find a clear reason. And why evil exists is a question without a simple answer. What we do know and what scripture tells us is that God is good and God is love. God does not inflict evil on people whom God has made and called good. What matters so much in this passage for Paul and for us is that God is the father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who draws us near to comfort and encourage us. And Paul is so convinced that this is who God is, that he blesses God for saving them, even though the trouble isn't over yet. Listen again to verse 10. He who rescued us from so deadly a peril will continue to rescue us. On him we have set our hope that he will rescue us again. Paul and Timothy need to be rescued again. They're still in danger. But Paul doesn't seem all that concerned about it. Because of what God has already done, Paul has hope that God will do it again. God has rescued them once, so Paul trusts that God can and will rescue them again. And maybe it isn't just once. 
I wonder if Paul looks back at all of those things that he's been through. Arrests, beatings, mobs, assassination attempts, shipwrecks, and snakes. And he knows there is no way he could have handled it all on his own. Maybe he looks back at all these things, and to the God who quite literally knocked him off his feet and changed the trajectory of his life, and says, God didn't rescue us just once. God has rescued us again and again and again. And so we can trust that God will continue to rescue us. Our God is a God who rescues and who comforts and consoles and who does not leave us to go it alone. And that's the other main problem with the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. The first part, God won't give you, implies that affliction comes from God. And the second part, more than you can handle, implies that you need to take care of everything that comes your way by yourself. As if this is between you and God and no one else. There's no room for anyone else, and God won't give you more than you can handle. It's easy for us, especially as people steeped in American individualism, to read the whole Bible that way. We read it as something just between me and God, and we think of Scripture mainly as a word from God to each person individually. And that isn't wrong in itself. God has a personal relationship with each of us. But we also need to be careful not to read that into passages of Scripture where it isn't the primary focus. Scripture is also a word from God to all of us together. And I think many of you know me well enough by now to know that I love words. I find them interesting enough that while I was in college, I majored in a dead language, which has actually been very useful in seminary. I also studied English both because I love words and because it's slightly more marketable than ancient Greek. And one of the main reasons I'm such a grammar nerd is because our language reflects what we believe. The way we talk says as much about how we think as the actual words that we use do. And I find that fascinating. And that comes into play with this passage. So other than the words referring to God, every verb and pronoun in this entire passage from 2 Corinthians is plural. Paul never talks about my affliction or my consolation. It's always we and us and our. Listen again. Blessed be God who consoles us in all our affliction so that we may be able to console others with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. And what doesn't come across well in English is that every you and your is also plural. So when Paul says you, think all of you. So if we are being afflicted, it is for all of your consolation and salvation. If we are being consoled, it is for all of your consolation, which you all experience when you all patiently endure the same sufferings that we are also suffering. Our hope for you all is unshaken. For we know that as you all share in our sufferings, so also you all share in our consolation. All of these plurals make it very clear that Paul does not expect to go it alone. 
whether in hard times or good ones, despair or hope, affliction or consolation, all of it happens in community. There's no question of Paul handling this struggle on his own, or even of Paul and Timothy handling it together with no other outside help. Paul, Timothy, and the Corinthians all share life together. And this is why Paul and Timothy can say, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our consolation. And that's also why Paul and Timothy want the Corinthians to know what they went through in Asia. Even though they are geographically distant, they share life together because they are united as family in Christ. As Paul and Timothy rely on God to help them, they also rely on God's help through the Corinthians. As they write, you also join in helping us by your prayers so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. And we today are not very good at sharing our lives. We live in a world of surface level sharing. Our Facebook and Instagram posts are full of things that make our lives look good. It's in the pictures we take, the stories we tell, and even the words that we use. So I have a working theory that there are three and a half standard answers to the question, how are you? And they are, I'm good, I'm fine, and I'm busy. And the half answer, by the way, is another version of I'm good, which is I'm well, if you're feeling pedantic about grammar, which is a hazard when you're as much of a grammar nerd as I am. We've overused these responses and the question to the point that most of the time they don't actually mean much of anything anymore. Usually when we ask, how are you, we aren't really looking to start a conversation about what's going on in the other person's life, unless we're making small talk. It's a pleasantry that we politely and quickly get out of the way so we can get on to the actual thing that we want to talk about. The way we use language is telling about our priorities. There are times when we genuinely want to know how someone is doing. But I found that they're so rare that I'm surprised when someone asks me how I'm doing and really means it. Because we're not good at sharing our lives. And since we find it so difficult or uncomfortable or unnatural to share the hard things that happen in our lives, we're even worse at asking for help. And this isn't something to be ashamed of as much as it is something to notice and to wonder about. Because our culture is not set up to ask us or to help us ask for help. We live in a world of do-it-yourself. Work hard enough and anything is possible. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you'll get there. We've tied our sense of value and self-worth to our independence. So not asking for help is a very natural response in an achievement-oriented world that shames anyone who can't get there on their own. When independence is held so highly, asking for help is really, really hard because it means admitting that I can't do it on my own. 
Why would I be honest about my struggles when there's so much stigma and shame around them? And it is worth noting that that culture of shame around having more than we can handle is starting to shift. People are more willing to talk about mental illness and self-care and work-life balance, and that is a really good thing. Because not being able to handle everything that life throws at us might be one of the most human experiences that there is. This is why therapists and counselors exist. Now, Paul was not a psychologist, but based on what we read here, I think he would agree that admitting when we need help is a really good, healthy thing. And the good news that Paul and Timothy offer us here is that we can admit that we need help because we don't have to go it alone. When we encounter more than we can handle, because we will, God goes with us. And more often than not, God goes with us not through supernatural intervention or dazzling displays of glory, but through the small everyday actions of other human beings. Being the church means being in a community that does all of life together, the good and the bad, Sundays and Mondays and Tuesdays and every other day of the week, we are baptized into one family, the family of God, and we're in this journey of life together. We aren't always good at that either, but there is grace in knowing that God works in and through us anyway, even when we fail to live well together. We are still united with Christ and one another by the Holy Spirit, even if we don't always feel like we are, or even if we don't understand how. God helps us through one another. In the meals made for us, the rides given to us, the prayers that are raised, and the songs that are sung for us when we can't do it ourselves, and when we do those things for others who cannot. We get to join in God's work of helping one another when life is more than we can handle. This doesn't mean that everything will be easy if we can all just work together or that everything will turn out perfectly. But the promise that God extends to us is that we do not go alone. We go together with the family of God, with those who have gone before us and those we do not know yet. And we go with the Father of mercies, the God of all consolation, the creator who became human and who cried out in a garden, take this cup from me. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is more than I can handle. We go with a God who knows our pain and who knows us more intimately than we do ourselves a God who can handle and who has handled what we cannot. We have seen what God has done in us and in the whole story of God's people, and we can trust that God will do it again. We have hope that one day all will be well, and even if we can't say it now, we will be able to declare, to declare it is well, it is well with my soul. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Father of mercies, God of all consolation, draw us near to you. 
when we try to go it alone, bring us back. Give us feet to walk the path set before us. And may we walk it together, knowing that you go with us today, tomorrow, and always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Arian.